Thank you for listening to the podcast of Dublin Bible Church. All right, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open your Bibles up to the book of 3 John. Here's a little cheat. If you don't have your Bible, um, there's some like spread throughout the place underneath the chairs. I do think it's important that we read from the Bible, um, so I would just ask you to do that if you're comfortable in doing so. And I'll give you a little heads up on how to find 3 John. If you go all the way to the back of your Bible and you go back to books, go through Revelation, which is going to be really long, and then you're going to see something called Jude. It's probably one page. And the next page is 3 John, and that is where we are going to be this morning. Well, we are in our third week and our final week of, of this series, and we've kind of talked about uh, just different ideas that are brought about in this book, and what it really has to do with is relationships. And this is... This whole book, Third John, it's kind of a it's kind of a, a look over the view of two people who are pastors and they're kind of talking to each other and they're kind of they're shepherds and this is the tale of two shepherds and you kind of peer over their shoulder and the conversations that they have and they're talking about Christians, people within the church. And we're actually going to go through and read the whole book of Third John. You've maybe never even read a whole book of the Bible and you're gonna do it today. Woo! It's gonna be amazing for you. Big day. So we're going to go through and read that, the, the text all the way through, but it's a personal letter. It's a personal letter, so it even seems personal. It's not some of the other uh, books of the Bible seem very impersonal, very starchy, kind of like you know, a, a guy by the name of Paul wrote many books of the New Testament, and he just kind of writes stuff out there, and he's just like, here, take it, you know, and run with it, make copies of it, and pass it around to all the churches. This is a very personal letter from a guy by the name of John to another character by the name of Gaius. So it's, it's a great book, it's a short book, but for the first week of this series, we brought out the idea that Gaius was commended for his hospitality. And it wasn't just hospitality as far as, you know, make me an apple pie, of course. I mean, who likes apple pie? Let me see your hands. Yes. Somebody said glory, yeah. You know. You know, it wasn't just an idea of what are you going to do for me. It's a matter of just really opening up your life to someone else. And I'll tell you, if you're a Christian or non-Christian, everybody understands that, right? Everybody, if you're a Christian or non-Christian, understands when somebody just opens up their life to somebody else and, and just says, hey, this is me, and I, just, I want to be a friend to you, and I want to help care for you, and, and I, want to help, I want to help you in your life, and then also that they would reciprocate that, and they would help you in your life. Everybody understands that Christian or non-Christian. Well, Gaius is commended for this hospitality, but then also part of that, it wasn't just a matter of being nice and I'll make you an apple pie or coconut cream pie, which is my favorite. You know, it wasn't just a matter of doing that kind of stuff. You know, hey, come on over, let's have, you know, some pizza. It was a matter of they went out and they did this for the sake of the name. It was for the sake of the name that these people's lives were radically changed and it was the name of Jesus. These people, many of them, saw Jesus, they talked to Jesus, they understood, um, they were starting to understand rather some of the messages that Jesus was teaching and they were trying to live it out. So for the sake of the name, they were sent out and they were like dispersed throughout the countries and all throughout the countryside also and they were doing so for the sake of the name. But then last week we talked about, it was kind of a, almost a negative thing, there was a student in the church um, Diotrephes, who was really bringing some negativity into the church. And he was causing not only division for himself, but also division 
for others and division from others. And then he was gossiping, which that never happens in church, right? So that was funny. All right, you're supposed to laugh, so it's not awkward. Thank you. All right, so that was last week. And, and really the, the connector for all three of these weeks is this, this phrase that really that the local church is, is supposed to be, when the local church is who the local church is supposed to be, it is the hope of the world. I believe it with all of me. And I believe that when, when the local church is on, when the local church is caring for, for widows and orphans, and when they're doing the things that they're supposed to, there's nothing else like it in the world. And that's what Jesus left us to do. He didn't leave us to come in and just sing some songs that, you know, other people in the world don't need to hear or don't know and come in and shake each other's hands and pat each other on the back and say, hey, everything's going fine. He left us here with a task. And just as these folks were sent out for the sake of the name of Jesus, we're supposed to be sent out in our workplace, in our families, for the sake of that name to share others, um, the joy that we have in Christ. Then kind of a, a little catchphrase that I've come up with. You can actually mix this up a little bit if you want. I've said that the health of the church is determined by the quality of its relationships. The health of the church is determined by the quality of its relationships. You can mix it up and say the quality of the church is determined by the health of its relationships. That would work fine as well. So when the church is who the church is supposed to be, it's not divisive. We're unified. We're unified in our purpose and our calling, what we're supposed to do and what we're, who we're supposed to be as Christians, individually, but then also corporately. All of us, we all have a part to play in God's great redemptive story. Now, I told you that we're going to read through the book of 3 John. Um, don't fret, it's only like 14 verses, so you're like, we're going to be here all day. We're not, so we're good. But I want to read this in its full context so you kind of get the sense of how he's writing. And especially if you've missed a week or two of this series, now you'll be able to pick it all up and we'll all be on the same page. Verse 1 says, The elder, uh, to my dear friend Gaius, the elder, that's John, he says, Whom I love in the truth. Dear friend, verse 2, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you even as your soul is getting along well. It gave me great joy to have some brothers come and tell about your faithfulness to the word and how you continue to walk in the truth. He says in verse 4, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. The story of Gaius' life is one that is commendable. It's commendable. Everybody say commendable. It's commendable. He's, he's doing the right thing. And John's looking at Gaius' life and he says, wow, I just want, I want everybody to know he's doing it right. He's doing it right. He is walking in, in the truth. He's walking in the faithfulness of the truth. And it's impacting other people. That's what it says in verse 3. It's impacting other people. So the story of Gaius' life is one that is commendable. It's commendable. We should be able to look at that and say, wow, there's something special about that, something compelling about that. But then as we move on in verse 5, we'll see something else. Dear friend, you are faithful in what you are doing for the brothers, even though they are strangers to you. They have told the church about your love. You will do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. Verse 7, it was for the sake of the name that they went out, receiving no help from the pagans. So, Christians helping other Christians, not relying on people who aren't Christians. Christians relying on Christians to forward the work of God. 
Then in, uh, well, finishing verse 8, we ought therefore to show hospitality to such men so that we may work together for the truth. So Christians are supposed to work together. All Christians working together. Gaius and John, they were working together. John commends Gaius because he says, how? He says, wow, this is incredible. I see the work that God is doing in your life, and it's contagious. Other people want what you have. Other people see the joy that you have. Other people see the peace that you have, and they know that they can't get it anywhere else other than through Jesus, and that's commendable. Then you see something contrary to that in verse 9. He says, I wrote to the church... But Diotrephes, who loves to be first, loves to put himself first, he's first on the list, he looks out for his needs, he likes what he likes, and he doesn't care what anybody else likes. It's all about Diotrephes. He loves to be first. He says, he will have nothing to do with us. So if I come, I will call attention to what he's doing, gossiping maliciously about us. Not satisfied with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers. And he also stops those who want to do so, and he puts them out of the church. This is somebody who's a Christian. So if you're not a Christian and you think like some Christians are judgmental, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. And people inside the church know that too. That all people, whether you're a Christian or non-Christian, nobody's perfect. Amen to that? Nobody's perfect. We're all on a journey, aren't we? Some are a little farther in the journey. Some of us don't know where we are on the journey. Some of us are getting ready to start the journey. But everybody's on a journey. And yet, this guy, Diotrephes, was a stumbling block for other Christians. He was judgmental. He looked at, he looked at other people and said, You know what? I don't, I don't really like the way that... I don't like what you're doing there. I don't, I don't really don't like the way you dress. I don't, really, I don't really like that. That's not really something I like. And he was, in essence, saying, I want to be first. It's cool if they come into the church, but they're going to come into the church through me. I'm sorry. That's not how it works. When you come into the church, we, we receive you, not because of ourselves, not because of a pastor, not because of a stage. We receive you because we believe that this church, just like the early church, was sent out for the name of Jesus. That's why we're here. That's why we're here. Now we'll get into today's text. Verse 11. Dear friend... Do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. Anyone who does what is good is from God. Anyone who does what is evil has not seen God. Pretty easy to understand, right? Demetrius is well spoken of by everyone, even by the truth itself. We also speak well of him, and you know that our testimony is true. I have much to write you, but I don't want to do so with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace to you. The friends here send their greetings. Greet the friends there by name. I love that. It's kind of lost in the, in the end of this book. Greet the friends there by name. So he's saying, there's the storyline of my life has been interwoven with other people's storylines. And he says, greet them by name. Let them know that of my affection toward them. Let them know that, that I love them, that I miss them, that I care for them. There's a connection with them within that church. And he wants the people to know. So this guy, Demetrius. Guy Demetrius, he in and of himself was somebody who seems to be commendable as well, right? He says he's well spoken of by everyone, even by the truth itself. We also speak well of him, and you know that our testimony is true. So Demetrius is commendable also. 
So there's, there's this, this transition that's kind of ebb and flow that's happening. This guy, Gaius, was commendable. And then you see Diotrephes, who was, basically his behavior was condemnable. But then you see Demetrius was commendable. Quite interesting. You see, if, if we were to sit back and look at their life, and we don't really know a whole lot about these guys, we'd be able to sit, and here's kind of a snapshot of how other people looked at them. Do you understand that? Like, we don't know who they are. We haven't really seen all that they've done. We don't know who their mama is and who their daddy is. We don't know what they like, what they don't like, the songs they like, what they, what they do. We don't know all that stuff. But what we do know is we know from this snapshot of what other people have seen in them. Do you get that? What other people have seen in them. So the story that kind of has been echoed throughout the ages about their life has been noticed by other people. Some commendable, some condemnable. Let me get a little bit personal, uncomfortable probably. If we were to just like have a discussion about you and say that you weren't here, not like we're going to talk bad about you, but if we're just going to sit back and I was going to talk with somebody and we're like, you know, just kind of peering over your life and kind of looking over your life, not in a judgmental way, but, but in a helpful way, would your life be commendable by the truth of God or would it be condemned by the truth of God? Think about that. Because everybody has a story, right? I mean, my story, you know, we, we, we started this song, uh, you know, with I Saw the Light. I mean, the, the day that I saw the light in Jacksonville, Florida, it was like a big deal for me. But I know that the story of my life was written many, 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 many years before that. And that God has taken all of the stuff from my past. And even up to the day that I received Christ, that He was bringing all of that with me. Does that make sense to you? Like nothing that, that have, I have gone through has been by mistake. It's all been by purpose. All of that coming up and even until being here on this stage is part of my story. There's no mistakes with God. And yet, if you were to take an honest assessment of your life, do you see God redeeming your brokenness? Is that what you see? Do you see God redeeming your brokenness, the things that you've done wrong, the sins that you've done wrong, mistakes that you made? Do you, have you honestly allowed God to kind of peer into your life and allow God to clean up all your junk? Because that's what He wants to do. And He wants that to be your story. Because your life is like a story. That's the first point this morning. Your life is like a story. I'll illustrate it this way. I'm, I'm first going to tell you about my, my first book that I ever read. Um, I was in sixth grade. I know I was supposed to read a lot of books before that, but for whatever reason, I didn't. This was the first book that I read. Anybody else read this book? Dogs Die. So if you're an animal lover, this is bad news for you, you're probably going to cry like I did. Straight up, I did cry. Um, I have no shame in telling you that. Um, Anybody have a Kleenex? So here we go. So this was a very impactful book for me, and I had to, I was supposed to read this book, and kind of going through, and you know what, I really didn't understand, you know, why people read, why would people read books when they could look over somebody else's shoulder when they're taking a test? You know, I just didn't understand that. Like, no, you're not supposed to amen that, that's not good. You know, like, why would you do that? So... So the thing is, it's like I kind of got caught up in the story of this book. It was the first book for real. This is the first book that I ever read. I got caught up in the story of it. And every good story has characters, right? I'm looking at some right now, you know. 
Every book, every book has characters. There's a plot line. There's tension. And then there's the tension being resolved at the end. Or at least most books are that way. And that's kind of the normal. That's kind of how movies are written as well. And I remember kind of getting really wrapped into this. And I could, I could see myself as the little boy in this story. And, and it was intriguing to me. And you know what? Every, every good story is compelling for other people. Every good story is compelling for other people. But I realize that, you know, some of us, we, we, have, other, we have other things. And, and I'll, I'll just kind of illustrate it in this way. If, if, you could, if you could explain where you are in your life right now with a book title, which one of these would it be? All right? I have a bunch. Um, the Search to Belong. Many of us, we're just looking for, where, where, where can I belong? Like, I feel like I'm just, you know, lost in the crowd. Like, I, I want to I belong somewhere. And Christians, this is a deep need for Christians. This is something that God has, has put in you. And, and we have this, this search for belonging, right? Do we have that church? A search for belonging. Some of us have, have been everywhere, and we're confused by all the places that we've been, and we feel like we've been on Gulliver's Travels, Right? Like, we've been everywhere, and I haven't sat too long in the same place, and I'm just kind of everywhere all the time, and I don't know where I'm going to be next, and mentally I feel like I'm three steps behind, but yet physically I'm here, and I don't know where I'm going, and I'm on a journey, and praise God that, that I'm on this journey, and sometimes it's kind of intimidating, isn't it? And yet, others of us, we, we feel like, if we're honest, our lives are just gone with the wind, don't we? We feel like, you know what? I don't know what happened in the last... 30 years, 40 years, 50 years. I just don't know. It seems like it's just been just gone with the wind. Some of us have had maybe some mistakes that we've made and we just felt like we've had just opportunities that were just gone with the wind. And you don't know if you're going to get those opportunities back. And yet, if you're like me, you're crying out for margin and just saying, I just need some space. I just need some... I'm about to have some space next week, amen. I'm getting ready to go on vacation. So I'm just letting you know. I'm about to have some space, but you know what? This is much needed. This is in my life right now, and this is maybe your life. You say, you know what? I just need some margin. I need some me time. I need some me and God time. I need some time where I'm not, I'm not bound to a schedule. I'm not bound to work. I'm not bound to this and all these commitments. I just need to step back, need some margin, and take a breath. Amen to that? Anybody else in that boat? That's me right now, needing some margin, craving some margin. Many of you, you, you probably feel like your life is just one big plan B. Like I thought it was going to go that direction. I was rocking in that direction. Everything was, you know, I was, everything was headed in that direction. Everything was cool, but then something happened along the way, whether it was something you did to yourself or something that somebody else did to you, and then all of a sudden, you're forced with the plan B. And now you have to turn all that back around. And now you're trying to figure out if you might even have to go to plan C. So I don't have that book. I don't know. But I know there's something that we all understand here. We all understand war and peace, don't we? We all understand what that feels like. Sometimes in our life, we, we feel like, you know, we're just at war. Anyone else feel like that? Sometimes you just feel like even you're at war in your, your closest relationships and you, you just wrestle with, even with the people that you love, 
the most. And yet you wrestle with that and you're thinking, why does it always have to be so difficult? I just want to give you hope. It doesn't always have to be difficult because the rest of the book is war and peace. And let me tell you, before Christ, your, your life will be war. But I can tell you, after Christ, you can have peace. You can have peace. It comes through Him and Him alone. And yet, if there are even... Some other folks in here, maybe you're a little bit farther along in your spiritual walk, and you'd say, you know what, yeah, I've made some mistakes, but I'm tracking on, and I'm inviting people to come with me, and the story of my life, you know, it's, I realize it's being written, but I'm living my life with purpose right now. And you say, you know what, I'm, I don't have it all dialed in, but I'm trying to live the purpose-driven life. So my, my purpose drives me, and not commitments drive me, and not... You know, my work drives me, and my boss drives me, and my my spouse drives me, and my kids drive me, but I'm driven by my God-given purpose. This is what you want. This is what you want. But yet your life is like a story. Other people look at your life. Other people are seeing your life. They see the way that you, they see the decisions that you make. They see the, the way that you respond to conflict in your life. They, they hear the things you say about your spouse because you talk to them probably. They know, they know about you. And yet, your life is like a story. And it's a story that other people hear. It's a story that other people see. And yet, just like every story, it has a character. That's you, that's me. And yet, there's, there's the plot line. So we're living out our plot right now. That's what, if you're a Christian, you're trying to live out your purpose. Many of us, and this even with, with well-meaning Christians, they don't even know what their purpose is. And they're trying to figure it out. What am I supposed to do? And it's really not that difficult. That would be a really great book to start with if you're a reader. And yet, the story of your life is supposed to be lived out in community. You see, the book of Third John is really a book of community. It's a book of relationships, the inner working of relationships. And I said that, that Gaius is... But his life was what? What's the word I had you say? It was commendable. But then, and there was Demetrius, who his life was also commendable. But then this Diotrephes, the dude who loved to be what? First. His life was condemnable. And that's the story of their life. That's the story. But I'll, I'll say this. Um, not, uh, not a lot of people understand this, actually, but in verse 11, it says, Dear friend, 3 John, verse 11, it says, Dear friend, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. Anyone who does what is good is from God. Anyone who does what is evil has not seen God. There's been, I've had conversations where they sit back and they say, well, should I mimic other people? Should I mimic other people? Well, if you look at the truth that's presented here, Absolutely. You should, you should mimic somebody who's living out daily repentance. Amen? You should. You should look over somebody else's shoulder and say, wow, they're living their life in a way that, that seems very compelling to me. I should look over their shoulder and maybe I should try and mimic the way they live. How did they get to the place where they are? If their life is commendable, you should also try to maybe mimic their life. Understanding they're not perfect, understanding that they're going to make mistakes, there's sin in all of us, I get, I get that, I'm not saying that, we should, we should look to Jesus, but also, it's okay to mimic the, the behavior and qualities that you see in other people who are living 
out daily repentance. It's just good, healthy community. Second thing this morning, right after that, that your life is like a story, is your life is a story that others need to hear. 1 John 3.15 says this. This will be on the screen. It says, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Something I learned from one of our parishioners, um, Marshall McDuffie, the thing that Marshall kind of has said several times and it's really stuck with me, is he said, people need words. You can, you know, the Christian behavior and all of that, your Christian walk, it can be caught by your behavior around other people, but it has to be taught with your words. It can be caught, but it has to be taught. And that's the thing that, that Marshall has kind of said several times. I don't even know if he realizes that stuck with me, but he says, you know what, you, you can do that and you can go into your workplace and you can, have the, the, you can have the Christian walk and other people can kind of peer over your shoulder and, and, and those things are compelling. Don't get me wrong. But there comes a time in all of our life where you have to be able to articulate and tell your story to somebody else. Has to be. Your, your behavior, it can be caught, but your beliefs have to be taught. It has to be. It's probably a good thing for you to write down so you don't forget. It has to be taught. Yes, you, you can do the right thing and you can rub off on other people and you can impact people in unique ways. All of that is good. But make no mistake, in a culture that is just ir- eroding relationships... And people are getting farther and farther and farther away from each other. It is quite possibly the biggest need in our culture right now is real, authentic relationships. Not Facebook relationships, not Pinterest relationships, not I pinned this, I tweeted that, I Facebooked this, I, I did this, and did you see what I posted? Did you see that picture? All these things, that's all great, but those are not adequate substitutes for real relationships. They're not. They're not. What I love about the end of 3 John, he says, I have much to write you, but I want to, do so, I want to do so not with pen and ink, but I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Really saying the same thing that's on the screen right now. That Peter understood and he instructs us, he says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks for the reason of the hope that you have. So we have to be ready. If you're not a Christian, you absolutely get a pass here. This doesn't even pertain to you. But if you are a Christian, then, you, then God is already redeeming things in your life and your story is supposed to be told to other people. You see, God just doesn't redeem people individually. He redeems people and He redeems groups of people and He redeems your story. He redeems your brokenness of your past. And then all of that is supposed to be Something that is seen by those that are around you. So when people see our behavior, and when they see you not freak out when you go through hardships, and when people at work, you know, they see that you're different, you don't sit and talk about your spouse and your kids and, all, and your parents in a demeaning way. And they sit back and they look at you and they say, wow, they really look different. They really, they're living their life different. And when they, when they ask you, rather, when they would sit back and ask you, say, okay, I just don't understand it. You're living in a way that's different than the rest of the world. Why? 1 Peter 3.15 tells us they're asking for that hope that you have. The ball's on the tee. 
You've got the bat in your hand. You've got to take a swing. And Peter says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Then that's when we step up to the plate. That's when we do what we're supposed to do. Because the story of our life is not just for us. The story of our life, that your life is like a story, but then secondly, that the story of your life is something that others need to hear. The others need to hear. Faith was never supposed to be something that you just live out yourself. It was supposed to be something that's lived out in community. That's what I love about this book. That's what I love about this book of 3 John because it's, it's about community. It's about relationships. It's about, well, living so close to someone else that they, they look at you and they say, Wow, I want to I commend your life. You're doing the right thing. But yet, if we live in a world that's so separated from, other, from everyone else, we basically live on an island, don't we? And yet, we don't have that, that personal connection. And I believe if this church is, is to be the hope of this community, we have to operate as one. We, we all have to operate as one. That it's not just about me, it's not just about you, but it's about we. About the body of Christ, the local church, this body of Christ, doing something for our community. Doing things like the soup kitchen that were mentioned earlier. Doing things like the family XP, which we had a phenomenal turnout yesterday at Bo's house. Doing things like that. Because those are ways for people to, to do the work and do actual ministry. Ministry doesn't just happen sitting in chairs like this. It doesn't. Because all you're doing is listening to me. Okay, this is important, but this is only one aspect of the Christian life. And as a matter of fact, non-Christians, they sit back at churches who only listen to people like me, and they sit back at them, and if they don't have any involvement in their community, and, and they look at that church and they say, well, that church only exists for themselves, and I would say, yes, you're right. That's not the church we're striving to be. We strive to be a church that reaches out into our community, that reaches out into our workplace, out into our families, because God is writing a story in me, He's writing a story in you, and other people need to hear it. And they're not going to hear it if we just come in here and we just sing songs and listen to messages and shake hands and pat each other on the back. We need to get beyond these walls to live out the story that God is writing in us. Third thing, probably the most difficult, Probably the most difficult. Verse 12. Third John, verse 12. says, Demetrius is well spoken of by everyone, and even by the truth itself. Even by the truth itself. You see, I could get a bunch of people together, and I could get you know, a, a whole bunch of cheerleaders, not in a real sense, because that'd be awkward and weird. But you know, I could get people who just come up next to me and say, oh, you're doing a great job. Woo! Man, that's awesome. You really brought it today. Man, you're such a great dad. You're such a great husband and you're doing all those things. But it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily mean that that's who I really am. Right? Look at the last part of that verse. He was well spoken of by everyone. That's good. That means that's public opinion. But the second element of that is the most important. And he says, and even by the, what's the next word? Truth itself. Even by the truth itself. Third point and final point this morning is your life gives testimony to what you really believe. 
Your life gives testimony to what you really believe. If you walk around and you're all frantic and you're wigged out and you're stressed out all the time, other people look at you and they see somebody who's frantic, wigged out and stressed out. Right? But if they see you in a stressful situation where you sit back, you take a moment and you pray, you meditate, maybe you have a verse that you've been just kind of running through your mind, something to help to give you strength, and they, instead of seeing you wigged out, stressed out and freaked out, they see somebody who says, wow, they're in a very difficult time right now but they're at peace. How is that? I'm glad you asked because Jesus came into my life and he changed me. And he changed me. It's as easy as that. It's not nearly as difficult as what we make it out to be. But the decisions that you made yesterday and last week that you'll make today, tomorrow when you go to work, Unless you're on vacation. But even then, your life gives testimony to what you really believe. It already does. So how you govern your relationships gives testimony to what you really believe. See, many, many things, or rather many people, even in this area, they claim to know God. But yet when, when life happens, does life happen to anyone else or is it just me? Right? When life happens, how you respond to that tells people what you really believe. It tells people what you really believe. If you go through and you, you just have, your life is just ridden with broken relationships, really? I mean, that tell, what does that mean about your walk with Christ? What does, that, what does that mean about the story that God's writing in you? Does that mean that God is just inviting all these broken relationships into your life? Or does that mean that you're not inviting God into all those broken relationships? I think it's the latter. I think it's the latter. I'll word it this way. What's the story of God's glory in your life? What's the story of God's glory in your life? Ask in a different way. What is the, the biggest area of brokenness that you have in your life? Mistakes that you've made, the way, the way people have treated you, whatever the case may be, you know, failure, whatever, missed opportunity. What is the, what is the, the greatest level of stress in a lot of ways in your life right now? What, what is that? Because that may be the very thing that God is trying to, to, to reconcile and to redeem in and through you. I hope you get that. That may be the very thing. See, God doesn't want you to stay in that situation and deal with all these things. And, well, kid, you're all by yourself. Yeah, you accepted me as Lord and Savior, but now you're on your own. Good to go. Take care of it, kid. Go get him, champ. See, that isn't what God wants to do. God wants to keep writing the story in you and taking that brokenness and those missed opportunities and the fears and the things that you've done wrong, things that people have done wrong to you, and God wants to redeem them. That way that your story, you know, every story has a tension, right? I said that. But yet at the end of the story, there's always this relieving of the tension, there's always this relief of the tension. And that relief of the tension in your life is when God showed up. I have to tell you, this is, this is something that I'm learning and I have learned over the years. I didn't always think that I would do this. As a matter of fact, I didn't even grow up in church. I didn't even understand this. A lot of times I still don't understand this, if I'm honest. 
But I didn't, I didn't like have, you know, my dad like wasn't a preacher. My grandpa was a preacher. I come from a long line of preachers, you know, you know, all this. And, you know, I didn't even know what a pulpit was. I'll be honest with you. I, had no, I don't even have one here. It goes to prove my point, I guess. I didn't, even, I didn't even know what all of this was about. And yet I know, and I mentioned this earlier, I know from, from the early days of my upbringing, all the things that happened in my life, and as, as God, I know that God was with me, although I was not saved, but I know that God was with me. And then at 21, when I received Christ, things started to make sense. And I realized that, that all of the things that God was doing in me, that God was just, He was weaving the story in my life. And there was tension. And I grew up in tension. I grew up in, an abusing, in abusing situations in my home. And there was tension. And there was difficulty. There was misunderstanding. I was the rebellious youth. I was the, the person that, that, you know, moms with daughters, you didn't want your, your daughter to marry a guy like me. I was that guy. My wife's not here, so I'm good. She'll never hear this. Yes, she will. But yet, I know that, that all of those things... The day that I received Christ, all of those things came with me. And God, I knew that, that the story of my life and all of that brokenness that started to, to, to really start to take shape in my life, and I didn't understand it all, and I still didn't understand it all, but He reveals things to me, little bit by little bit, and I know that all of those things that happened to me and the brokenness that happened to me, I know that nothing happened by accident. And God has been in a, in a just, since that time, just in a process of mending my life. And what's been a, Incredible is he's allowed me a platform to help mend other people's lives. So now my story rubs off on you. And now I get to share my story, not to glorify my story, but to tell you what God's glory has been, or how God has been glorified in my life. And I want you to have the same. I want you to have the exact same. Scripture we're going to close out on today. This will be on the screen. Um, it's Romans fifteen thirteen. If you want to flip in your Bible, you can do that as well. We're going to finish out with this. I hope that this is inspiring to you as this verse is to me. It says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him. So may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him. When you have the difficulty in the story of your life and, and you're needing redemption to happen and you've had all this brokenness and broken relationships and you've had divorce and maybe people have, have kids that they feel so far away from and all of these things, there's still hope. It says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him, even in your difficult situation, even in your broken relationships, even in your fear and your failure. It says, so that you, Christians, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. What's incredible is when you overflow, that's when other people can see it. When, it, when you overflow, you can't help but overflow that hope and joy and peace. It can't help but overflow onto other people. And they can't help to be touched by it. It overflows on other people and then they look at you and they, they commend your life and, and now you've set an example for them to live out and now they realize that the story that's in you is still being written in you and that God is doing a work in you. So I tell you again, before I pray, 
May the God of hope fill you with all 